hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Breakdown. Very excited to be jumping in with you today. Um, some exciting news just on the history of the Bible Breakdown. We have crossed the 2,500 plays threshold for the Bible Breakdown. Just want to say thank you all for your patronage and taking the time to listen. As I've said many times before, and I hope you know I mean it, I really enjoy getting the chance to do this, and I'm glad that you have found it worth listening to, and uh, we will have more episodes to come, uh, but do just want to say thank you so much for listening in. Um, if you need any confirmation on the fact that I enjoy doing it, that's uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and here I am recording. Uh, maybe I just love getting to talk for 30 minutes without being interrupted. Maybe it's just like some crazy narcissism machine. I don't know. We'll just have to deal with that later, I guess. But until we do that, we will talk about the Bible. It is the Bible breakdown after all. So today we are going to be in the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. So we have finished 1 Kings, moving into 2 Kings, and we are moving on from talking about Elijah to Elisha in this lesson, okay? So Elijah, Elisha, Elisha is second. And uh, then next week, as I mentioned last week, we are going to be moving into an Advent series for uh, the three weeks in December before Christmas. So looking forward to that. But we are going to talk about this transition from Elijah to Elisha today. Last week, we talked about how God used Elijah to defeat the Baal prophets. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel had kind of made Baal worship the official religion of the northern kingdom Israel. And so Elijah challenged their prophets to a duel. Uh, and there was some fire. And there was some excellent smack talk by Elijah also, um, saying that maybe the reason Baal wasn't answering them was because he was using the bathroom, or maybe he was taking a nap, or maybe he couldn't quite hear them. Hilarious. So now what we're going to look at is a pass off of leadership. Okay, from Elijah which if you remember from last week, Elijah means Yahweh is my God, to Elisha, which means either my God saves or my God is salvation, something like that. So not like God is changing or anything with this name change, but like I also have mentioned in the past, Hebrew names just are usually uh, very meaningful, have a lot of meaning. So it's always good to kind of know what these prophets' names mean. That's what we've got here. So we are going to be, like I said, in Second Kings, starting in chapter 2. And I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 8. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. 
the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. All right. So one thing you probably already noticed is I'm trying to really pronounce the J and the sh, so we're clear. We don't want to get these guys confused. It's a little easier when you're reading it, though. I was almost, I almost said the wrong one a couple of times there. But what we see um, here is from very verse, from the very beginning, from verse one, we know what is coming for Elijah. Okay, God is going to take Elijah straight to heaven in a whirlwind, and Elisha is going to be staying behind. Okay, so he's kind of passing on this mantle to. Elisha. So Elijah keeps trying to get some space from Elisha, but Elisha is not having it. He wants to be there. He's like, uh, as the Lord lives, yes, as you yourself live currently, yes, I'm not leaving. So he repeats that as Elisha, as Elijah, excuse me, tries to get him to stay somewhere so he can go off. And I'm assuming he's kind of going off to, you know, get to take his little whirlwind up to heaven. Um, but Elisha, is sticking with him. And then two different bands of prophets come to tell Elisha that his master's about to leave. He's like, yeah, I know. Leave, leave me alone. Be quiet. Um, I just imagine them like coming out and they've got their like some tambourines or something. They're like, did you know, Elisha, that you're going to lose your master? And he's like, yes, stop. I don't, I don't like that song. Okay. He's clearly very concerned. Okay. Cause he's not wanting to be parted from Elijah um, I'm sure he's very sad, also probably very fearful as well about this. Now, something interesting for us to take into account, uh, according to Dr. Paul House, the writer of the commentary on First and Second Kings that has been very instrumental in my study of these uh, last several lessons, uh, this path from Bethel to Jericho and then to the Jordan is kind of a reverse path of Joshua's journey when he came into the promised land and the parting of the Jordan reminds us of when that happened under Joshua's watch and they took the stones from there and they uh, created this monument to the Lord. And also, of course, anytime water is parted reminds us of the Red Sea. Okay. So it's this uh, kind of this parallel, because if you'll remember uh, Moses, huge hero of the faith, one of the as I say, one of the most, one of the top three most important humans in the Old Testament is when he died, he passed on his leadership to Joshua, which of course would have been very frightening for him. And the whole like first chapter of Joshua is God and the people of Israel telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because I'm sure he was incredibly fearful taking up that mantle of the leadership of God's people from Moses. And it's similar here for Elisha, who is taking up leadership. And again, this is not, uh, and as we even see from these bands of prophets that come out to kind of upset Elisha, Elijah and Elisha are not the only prophets in Israel, but Elijah has kind of been like the leader of the prophets, kind of probably in a very informal way. Um, But God has used Elijah in a special way. That seems to be the plan for Elisha as well. So it's still a, it's a it's a major undertaking that he's got here. So you have to think that he is feeling very fearful. He is sticking to Elijah like glue and he's not he's not letting him go. Okay? And so we're reminded of that pass off from Moses to Joshua by this kind of path that they're taking, this kind of reverse path. So I think that is partially um, this spirit-inspired author helping call to mind this is what's happening here. These are some important things and we'll talk about that. Uh, as we move into some application. 
Uh, but now moving down to verse 9 through verse 14, still in 2 Kings chapter 2, says this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Okay. So Elijah is taking final requests as he knows his time draws to an end. And Elisha asks for a double portion of his spirit. Okay. So I think what he's essentially asking for here is for kind of double the prophetic power that Elijah had. And that doesn't mean like uh, just telling the future or anything like that, but that would include um, the miracles that Elijah did, um, kind of this admonition of Israel's leadership, things like that. He's asking for a double portion. The fact that he says your spirit doesn't make me think he's saying, I need a double dose of the Holy Spirit or something like that, as if like you can have double the Holy Spirit, I guess. It's kind of confusing. I think what he's asking though is essentially, I want to have kind of twice the power that you had. I want to be used twice as much, something like that. Um, and so Elijah is like, well, you've asked a difficult thing. Having double the amount of Elijah, that's no uh, thats no easy ask. But he basically leaves it up to God's discretion by telling Elisha, well, if you see me taken up into heaven, then we'll take that as a sign that you are going to receive that request. Uh, and if you don't, then you won't. But of course, the next verse that's what he does. He sees Elijah being taken up by chariots of fire and horses, went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Okay, so very quickly confirmed by God, allowing Elisha to do uh, the same miracle that he just had Elijah do as well. So he goes up to the Jordan, Elijah's cloak, all that kind of stuff. He's able to part the Jordan just like Elijah had. So this, what appears to be very quick confirmation that what Elisha asked of Elijah has been granted to him by God. Okay. And the Jordan, the Jordan just getting parted all the time. It's this is at least the third time I can think of that it's getting parted. Jordan's a very, uh, very important river in the scriptures. Of course, Jesus will be baptized over there. Anyway, it's very quickly confirmed. So now we are going to do something a little different today. Um, we're going to kind of take our application like section by section today instead of waiting all till the end, which honestly is a better better strategy anyway. It's probably what I should do anyway. Sometimes it lends itself better to me at the end. I think this will actually be helpful if we kind of do a little piecemeal application here. So the application from this first section that we see, the kind of the start of the application for this whole passage is God's design is always for the passing on of leadership among his people. God's design for uh, humanity from the time of his covenant people Israel continuing on to his covenant people of the church, his design is always for there to be this discipleship, 
okay, is usually the word we would use for it. But specifically, we can't ignore the fact that discipleship is also has to do with the passing on of leadership among his people. Okay, so we've already talked about how Moses passed on his leadership to Joshua, just the natural succession of the kings like that. Obviously, when a king passes away, there's got to be a new king, right? So what does that what that means for us is there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility for leaders to train up and pass the mantle on to those who are next. Okay, and then for the people who are next, who are being called like Elisha here, there's a courage and a teachableness that is required. Okay, unfortunately, the church, and by church, I mean the capital C church, like the whole of Christendom, not a specific church body. The church, capital C church, universal church, really kind of struggles with this. The church has struggles with, and of course, we see this play out in individual church bodies, not just one in particular, a, a lot of churches struggle with this, but this this struggle to kind of maintain what God calls his people to, and that is raising up uh, leaders from the next generation, okay? I think there's a few reasons kind of on the leadership side, let's call it the Elijah side for now, though he did not struggle with this. Um, sometimes leaders struggle for uh, a need for importance. So we don't want to give up leadership because leadership is something that has given me importance and has given me status, whatever it may be. Um, sometimes leaders, we can become jealous of the next generation, jealous of what uh, they're bringing, or sometimes it's just a lack of intentionality. Sometimes it's just a we just kind of put one foot in front of the other and we don't look down the line and think, who's the next generation that God is calling to lead his people, not just in the church, but in in all walks of life and all places where God's people can be found, whether that be in the church and business world, schools, whatever it may be. Okay. And then on the, on the uh, next generation side, we'll call it the Elisha side. Sometimes there's a, a youthful pride that can be a barrier to the transition of leadership, the discipling of the next generation of leaders, people who see the way the quote unquote old people do it and think they know everything better. Um, there's also, there can be kind of like a, what I said with a lack of intentionality, there can be a passivity with the next generation. Again, just kind of put one foot in front of the other. Uh, I'm not seeking out what God has next for me. Um, I'm just kind of going with the flow. And then like Elisha experienced fear. There's fear of what it looks like to step into uh, leadership among God's people when it seems really daunting, when it seems like those who came before us, maybe like we could never. My apologies for the awkward cut there. I am having a little bit of technical difficulties with my casting website. In case you think I just like sit in front of an editor at any point during this process, I do not. So <laughs> I'm sure you'll bear with me on some awkward cuts here. I appreciate it. But what I was saying before my mic stopped and I continued talking for five minutes before I realized it, is there's this fear with maybe the next generation of leaders that we could never live up to the person who's ahead of us. Or as a mentee, I could never live up to this uh, this incredible reputation or this incredible gifting that a mentor has. And so I think those things are what kind of keep us from following God's design, which is for the passing on of leadership amongst his people that the mantle be handed down. And even it's not been very long since I was in the process of looking for ministry jobs. And there's definitely 
it was interesting for me to be on that side and then to be on the side now with a couple of years of ministry. Uh, the the process this kind of things are not quite synced up with um, our seminaries and our kind of outsourced theological training, Bible colleges as well, and then like the what churches are looking for maybe. And so there's these churches, oh, we just are looking for people in ministry. Where are they? We don't know where they are. And a bunch of us graduating, we're like, we're, we're here. We're right here. Like, come come get us. Respond to our emails. Like, we want to have an interview. But there's this kind of disconnect because, as you might suspect, churches, it's not, you're not just hiring somebody to fill a position. You're looking for somebody to be a part of your church body, your church family. And there's this desire to know know the candidates but at the same time, there's not like a huge movement there. This does exist and it's great, but there's not a huge movement of churches kind of having their own theological training. It's usually the seminaries, the Bible colleges. So there's that kind of disconnect. We don't know them. We know they're trained, but we don't know them. And then on the other side at the seminaries, as people are looking for churches, like, well, I know I've got the training, but they don't seem to know if they can trust me or not. So we've got a little bit of this struggle is partially because of just the way our theological training has played out. Um, another way I think we see kind of this, uh, and especially in the American church, a way that we struggle with this passing on of, of leadership is uh, these, you've probably seen in different churches, like simulcasted services. So I'm not talking about having a sermon available online, but more like we have another church body that we plant in a different location. We don't have leadership for it. We just kind of pipe in a, an either worship and or the sermon from another more established church. Okay. And that's, I'm not trying to be critical of that model um, or the people who do it and that they're doing it for the purpose of not having to develop new leaders. I think it's more of a consequence of how we have struggled to develop new leaders. And I will say too, a lot of churches that have done this simulcast model are trying to move away from that and are trying to raise up leadership, which I think is the right direction to go. But like I said, the church has struggled with God's design for passing on of leadership for all the reasons mentioned. So let's see. This is God's design. Let's see how it's going to play out with Elijah and Elisha, starting now in verse 15, still in 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent therefore 50 men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go. Okay, so these uh, prophets at Jericho come out. And they're like, wow, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they're like, um, however, would you mind if we sent some guys to go look for Elijah just to make sure that God hadn't carried him some someplace? So Elisha is now the top prophet, but the, but the prophets of Jericho are not ready to make this transition. They're kind of insistent that they make sure Elijah isn't still out there somewhere. And so he, Elisha said, no, you, you don't need to send anyone out. I've I kind of know the deal. He was taken up into heaven and I am the one who's kind of taken up this mantle. It says they urged him till he was ashamed. And he said, okay, go ahead and send him out. So they beg him and they go and look. And of course they don't find him. He's been taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. Okay. And they're clearly reluctant 
to accept this change in leadership. All right, our next little piecemeal of application. I'm sure you know where this one's going. Sometimes God's people struggle with a wariness of new of new new leadership, a desire for comfort and familiarity. Sometimes as God's people, our desire for the familiar, our fear of the unknown, that leads us to kind of be an obstacle to again God's design that amongst human leadership of his covenant people, that leadership, discipleship, development is meant to happen, that the previous generation is meant to pass it on to the next generation, and so on and so on, okay? Um, And this is, again, another part that goes on to the issue of maybe like a simulcast-type church as well, is the people don't want to go to the church if they can't fit into a building where they can hear the person they want preach. Okay. Like, I know you say you got this new guy, but we'd really rather hear the old guy. Um, so maybe we could just stream it in. Okay. Again, I'm not trying to harp on it in criticism, but rather say it's, it's a consequence of maybe how we've struggled to develop leaders. Um, and then too, there was this very interesting moment I had at seminary. I was just looking at, there was just like some little, uh, cork board in like one hallway. I just random, it was across from where I think I picked up like, uh, any sort of like old papers and stuff like that, that had been graded. And so I was just standing there while somebody was uh, filling it, I think is what I was doing. And there was this board and there were, there's an article and it was kind of more like a poem. And it said, do you want to be our pastor? And it was kind of from this perspective of church members. And it was like, do you, it was kind of like, do you want to be our pastor or do you just want to use this as a stepping stone to go somewhere else? Are you just trying to build your own personal brand? You know, all these things that people fear, uh, when a pastor comes in that they don't know, which I thought I was like, wow, hmm. That's a thinker. But somebody had posted next to it another article similarly written and said, do you want me as your pastor? And it was an article about, do you want me to be here just to be the person who was here before? Do you want me to be here as a person with the target on their back so you can blame me for all the things that go wrong? So I I thought that was very just meaningful for me to recognize that that's what we're kind of holding in this tension um, with leadership, with congregation, things like that. I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have been through some sort of leadership change that went really poorly, okay? And that maybe even in some cases, the previous leader was brought back because it went so poorly. But then there's also, on the other hand, there are people who want want to have that opportunity to be a new generation of leadership, but feel like, well, they're not, they're not going to accept me. I'm fearful for how they are going to receive or really mostly not receive me. Okay. Send all people from the leadership of church to a brand new member should be sensitive to how God is using change to continue his purposes, even when it's uncomfortable. Okay. So in this, we see that these prophets were a little hesitant for this change of leadership. They wanted, they checked for three days to make sure that Elijah was not still with them before they were willing to be like, okay, I guess, I guess you're the guy. So whether you're, it's the new generation of leadership or it's a person who is, yeah, we just became a member of this church yesterday and now they're changing leadership. It's our call as God's people to be sensitive to how God is using change for his purposes and not just trying to maintain the status quo. So for a church congregation, that means what does it look like for me to just get on board with what God's doing here at the church. 
And of course, this this doesn't only play out in churches. Like I mentioned, this could play out in any sort of leadership structure. I, I don't know that we should have any expectations that a um, a non like that just some random business will have these these same values as a church. This is what we should expect of our churches, but that members should be willing to see how God is moving them. Whereas new leadership should a not try to be something that they're not. B be sensitive to how God is using them and helping people who are adjusting and struggling with a transition and being sensitive to that as well, instead of coming in and say, well, it's my way or the highway. You got to get on board. This is what God's doing. So there's this kind of give and take that's required, but everybody's kind of got to be sensitive to God. What are you doing? What needs to stay the same? What needs to change? What, what maybe is not that big a deal that can be let go? What are the things that we truly value? So that leadership changes kind of can be uncomfortable. And sometimes one of the reasons that leadership transitions, God des- God's design for the transition of leadership is difficult is because sometimes we're reluctant to handle changes in leadership, right? Now moving into verse 19, 2 Kings 2. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. So God immediately gives evidence that Elisha is the one that he's called by having him do this miracle. There's some water that is uh, devastating the land, is causing death to the people, both born and unborn. Uh, and showing that it's a miracle from God, Elisha throws salt into the water, something you wouldn't normally do to make water better to drink or for plants necessarily, but yet the water was all better. So the Lord used Elisha powerfully in that moment to heal a very important, it says, yeah, the water has been healed, to heal an important body of water that was important for the land and for the people. And so as we finish up then uh, applying what is going on here in this story, God is working in the next generation. Even when there's change and there's upheaval, God is continuing to work. When those who are called to lead and to follow, when those who are called to lead and to follow, hear me again, are faithful to what God is doing, God's work can bear a lot of fruit. God's work can bear a lot of fruit even when we're not faithful because he's God and he's amazing like that. And he works even when we're not faithful. But when we are sensitive to what God's leading us to in these times of transition, God can bear, God's work will bear a lot of fruit through us, in us, and around us. And here's really the key. And this is what I'd want to end on for today. Even though if there's this change in leadership, just like there was here with Elijah and Elisha, even though the person may be different, if that's in your in your church, your small group, whatever it may be, the one constant, the thing that is not changing, the person who is not changing is God. We still follow the same God. We are still empowered by the same God. So the beloved pastor of 40 years who's transitioning to the young, green, new pastor, if both of those people are committed to following the same God, it may be different. Those people are, I guarantee, different, but the same power is behind them. 
the same powers at work regardless of the leadership. We still follow the same God. And God has shown himself faithful throughout all of history of his covenant people that even when huge changes happen, that he is still at work, that he is still calling people to himself, that he is still working through his people. So we have the opportunity as his people in those moments to not let changes of leadership, changes of structure, changes of order of service, whatever, change of the color of the carpet, whatever it may be, whatever really, whatever really frightens you to your core. We don't have to be afraid of that. Instead, when we have those familiar things, those really safe things taken away, we have the opportunity to show how great God is by putting our trust in him. Even when we don't really feel like maybe we have a leg to stand on, we're totally just out, uh, we're totally just out hovering over a chasm, just hoping God catches us, right? And he does, because that's the way he works. The way he works is not dependent on human ability, human leadership, anything like that. Instead, we are empowered by that. And when we are committed to what God's mission is, even when things look different and maybe don't even look so great, a commitment to what God is doing is the thing that keeps us afloat because people will come and go, church bodies will come and go, but it's our God, it's Yahweh. It is, Yahweh is my God. It is, my God saves, my God is salvation. He is the one constant. He is the one who's actually giving it power and he's the one that we can trust in.